So we're going we're gonna to dive into this. Our Christmas season, our theme is Manger Throne. And this song, I believe it was an old hymn. And then in the 90s, Third Day uh, produced a new version of it. And now this year, Phil Wickham produced another brand new version of it. Even has different lyrics and everything. And it was listening to this new version by Phil Wickham that inspired me for this teaching series called Manger Throne. And so at the end of the sermon today, we're going to sing this new song. And then, of course, we're going to sing it all throughout the Christmas season as, as we are encouraged to remember our King who humbled himself. That's what this is all about, is we have a king who humbled himself. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us why this is so important in our lives. And so this is kind of the theme passage for the whole teaching series. Let's go ahead and read this together if you have your Bibles or it'll be on the screen. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's just stop right there. That's the lesson. That's what we're trying to accomplish this Christmas season, right? In the midst of the traditions and the shopping and the family and the eating and all the things we love about Christmas, this is the lesson. This is what we want to take home with us. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So everything that we meditate on, everything we reflect on, every Advent reading and lighting of the Advent candle, everything that God reveals to us about the birth of Jesus and what it means in our lives should cause us to take on the same attitude as Christ Jesus. That's the takeaway. That's the big finale. If four weeks from now, as we are doing our celebratory candle lighting on Christmas Eve, we want to look back over this month and say, this is what we got. God gave us something new about Jesus. I learned something new. I understand something differently. And because of that, I live differently because I want to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. What was that attitude? Let's continue. Who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. So what is this attitude that we are to take on? It's the attitude of emptying ourselves and letting go of everything. Jesus existed in heaven as part of the Godhead. He was fully God, and he was willing to empty himself of that to become a human on our behalf. It means to empty ourselves. It means to humble ourselves. Jesus could have come in any way he wanted. He chose to come in a manger. That same sense of humility in our lives. And then obedience. He was obedient to the cross. What have we been called to be obedient to? What is our place of sacrifice? Emptying, humility, and obedience. Have this same attitude in you that Christ Jesus had. 
But the passage continues. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Come on, he humbled himself. He was obedient. He suffered the greatest torture and punishment and execution. He was buried in a grave. But he rose from the dead, and he was exalted by God. And he now has the name that is above every name, that at his name every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. This is the glory of Christmas. It is the first advent of Christ coming in complete humility and poverty, but it's also the second advent of Christ when he comes in power and glory and we understand the full exaltation of his name. That is what we want to learn this month as we dive into the manger throne. And so what I have done is after listening to this song by Phil Wickham, is there were phrases or themes that jumped out of the song that, that caught my heart. And so each of these five sermons from now to Christmas Eve is named after one of those phrases. And we're going to take that topic and we're going to uh, unpack it. And I want us to be inspired by it. I want us to find revelation in it. And I want it to change us. So today is part one. And part one, the line from the song is, This is our King. This is our king. If we're going to talk about a manger throne, right? This was a king who rather than sitting on a throne of glory was sitting in a manger. Maybe hewn out of rock. Maybe made from wood. But certainly not a throne fitting of a king. But a humility of our king. So if you've got your sermon notes with you, which are in your bulletin, you can also find them in the church app. You can find them attached to this video, or you can find them attached to this audio if you're listening to the podcast. Here's our big picture point today. Jesus Christ is more than a prophet or an angel. You say, well, is anybody arguing that? Yes, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. He is more than a prophet or an angel. He was the king of the universe before the incarnation. And he continues to sit on his throne after the incarnation. That's what we want to go after today. This is our king, our King Jesus. He didn't just begin to exist when he was conceived in Mary's womb. He has existed from the beginning. He was a king before time began. And he will be a king forever. And in between... When he incarnated in human form and humbled himself as a bond servant was the only time that he was not recognized as a king. But we said he's so much more than a prophet or an angel. Well, where does that come from? Well, our main passage today that we're going to discuss is Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. And what we're going to find here in our passage is Jesus presented as a king, but it was presented as an argument which tells us that whoever the audience was, 
There were people that were arguing that Jesus was just an angel. There were people that were arguing that Jesus was just a prophet. Does that relate to our day today? Absolutely. There are people that say that Jesus was a wonderful teacher, that he was a very kind, homeless hippie that walked the countryside of Israel, that he was just a good man that did good things. Right? We hear this. The writer of Hebrews, which we don't know who it was. This is the interesting thing. Every other letter in the New Testament begins with an introduction. An introduction of who is writing and who they're writing it to. Hebrews is the only letter that does not begin with any sort of introduction. It just begins with God. The writer felt no need to introduce themselves. They just felt the need to jump into their topic. Many scholars believe that Paul was the writer, but then we don't understand why would he have introduced himself in every other letter but not this one. There are other arguments about some of the other apostles. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's also no mention of who it's written to, right? Every other book was written to a specific church or a specific people group. So why is it called the book of Hebrews? Because this book from start to finish is rich in Old Testament scriptures. The writer of Hebrews presents Jesus as the Savior by connecting him time and time and time again with the words of the Old Testament. Therefore, the assumption is this must have been a Jewish audience who had a full understanding of the Old Testament for this letter to be so rich in New Old Testament scriptures. Hence, it's called the book to the Hebrews. So we don't know who wrote it. We don't know who they were writing it to. But what we do know is that they were confronting an argument that Jesus was merely human or merely angel and not the king of the universe. Are you guys with me? So that's the context of what we're reading today. So let's read these first three verses. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In just a few short phrases, the writer of Hebrews strikes down any argument that Jesus was simply a man or simply an angel. The rest of chapter 1, which we're not going to read today, but I encourage you to go back and read, uses a bunch of Old Testament scriptures to reinforce the argument that they presented in these first three verses. How Jesus could not be an angel. How he is more than a prophet. How he is the Son of God. And so what I want us to look at today as we talk about this is our king is in these three verses, the writer gives us seven phrases to describe who Jesus is. Three of those phrases are in relation to creation. 
Two of those phrases are in relation to God the Father, and two of those phrases are in relation to mankind. And so I want to go through these. We can fill in our notes together, and again, we can have a deeper understanding of who is this Jesus that we serve. Let's talk about in relation to creation. What does it say? In these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. That means that all creation is going to be given to him. In Colossians, it says that everything was made by him and through him and for him. All of creation is for Jesus. It's all going to be given to him. The earth, the universe, all of us, Those that get to live forever in eternity with Jesus, it's all being given to him. And then the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Right? We, We get this false idea of heaven, that it's like this ethereal place in the clouds where we're all going to float around with wings. That is not what heaven is. Heaven is this very planet that we're standing on now, completely made new by God. And we're going to live physical lives in physical bodies on this physical earth made completely perfect. Now, I know Kauai can't get much better, but there's some other places around the world that need to get better. We're going to live on this physical earth forever in the glory of Jesus because it's all being given to him. That is our king. He is the heir of all things. All of time and history is all pointing to one thing, and that is Jesus being king forever and ruling over all of it. This is our king. He was appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world, which means he created all things. Right, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says, all things were made through Him, and nothing was made that was not made through Him. He created all things. Right, so Jesus was a part of creation from the very beginning. Every person that is born every animal, every plant that sprouts out of the ground, everything is from Jesus. It was all created by him, through him, and for him. And then how about this one? A little bit further down in verse 3, it says, and upholds all things through the word of his power. Think about that. Jesus not only created everything, He holds everything together. The gravity that keeps planets in their orbits around suns and moons around planets. Even the centrifugal force that keeps our cells together, right? As as every molecule has positively charged and negatively charged ions that work together in perfect unison, that holds molecules together, that without that they would split apart And all of creation would scatter into billions of random atoms. Jesus holds it all together by the word of his power. If Jesus were to remove his word, 
it would all cease to hold together. If Jesus were to remove the Holy Spirit, it would all cease to hold together. Everything holds together because of Jesus. It was created by him, through him, for him, and he holds it all together. This is our king. This is the glory of his creation. Come on, how about in relation to the Father? It says, he is the radiance of his glory. The radiance of his glory. What does that mean? Well, when something radiates, it means it pushes out from a center point, right? Heat radiates from the heater. Light radiates from the light bulb. So Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. What does that mean? That means that the light of God continues to move forward throughout this world because it radiates from Jesus. We can't see God. We can't lay eyes on his glory or we would drop dead. It's happened. Many people throughout history have dropped dead because they saw his glory. But what we can see is the radiance of Jesus. As it radiates out, we can understand his glory, his love, his kindness, his compassion, his majesty, his holiness. Every aspect of who he is radiates from Jesus. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus is not a copy. Remember back in the days when we used to have to dub our tapes, right? We didn't have everything, immediate access from, from streaming. So if you wanted a song and you, you, didn't, you couldn't go and buy the, the album from the store, what would you do? You'd put a tape in your tape deck, and when the song came on the radio, you'd push record. If you wanted to make your own mixtape, you'd have to have the dubbing cassette deck where you put the original in one side, your mixtape in the other. You record one song and then change tapes, record another song. Kids these days call them mixtapes and they don't even know what they're talking about. We actually had to make our mixtapes. But when you dubbed it, the copy didn't sound as good as the original. And then if you made a copy of a copy, you really started to lose the quality, right? I mean, you had the song, but it sounded kind of like it was underwater. Jesus isn't a copy. He is not a little less than God. He is not like God, but missing some key things. No, Jesus is not a copy. He is the exact representation of the Father. We can fully understand God through what Jesus radiates in our lives. There's nothing missing. There's no shortage. It's all there. He is the exact representation of the nature of God. If we want to understand God, we can ask, how did Jesus live? How did he talk? How did he love? How did he serve? How was he obedient? How did he pray? He is the exact representation. You guys with me? This is our king. How about in relation to mankind? 
It says, when he had made purification of sins. So what did our king do? He purified our sins. No man could do that. No man is qualified to do that. No angel is qualified to do that. Only our king. Only God in the flesh who lived a perfect sinless life could purify our sins. And that is exactly what he did. And then it says, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we know that he sits in honor as our king at the right hand of the throne of God. This is our king. This is who he is. He loves us. (laughs) All right. I just felt a song going there. Come on. I know somebody was thinking it. All right, so what does this mean for us? How, how is this uh, going to uh, inspire us, challenge us, and change us? Well, as I was studying this, I, I came across this concept of the offices of Old Testament Israel. Right? When you think of Old Testament Israel, the nation of Israel, they really had three offices, right? We've been talking a lot about the five offices of the church, right? The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. But there were actually three offices of Old Testament Israel. Some people in the Old Testament might have held two of those offices at the same time. But nobody in the Old Testament ever held all three offices at the same time. In fact, when somebody in one office tried to fulfill the role of another office, they were punished and cursed for stepping outside of the will of God in the office they were called to. Right? Samuel was in the office of a king. I'm sorry, I apologize. Saul was in the office of a king, and he tried to do things that only priests can do. And he was cursed and he was punished because of it. But what we see in Jesus Christ is we see the fulfillment of all of the offices of Old Testament Israel. And as we as the church are now the New Testament Israel, we have been grafted into the vine. We are the the lineage of Abraham that we now have in Jesus Christ all three offices fulfilled completely that we no longer have to look to man to fulfill one of these roles, we can look to Jesus. So what are these roles? First, the Son is the prophets. There have been prophets throughout history. There are still prophets today. But Jesus Christ is the prophets. Right? If we go back to Hebrews chapter, or chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. Right? There are many prophets, but in the last days he speaks through his Son. What does that mean? That means that Jesus is the final word. Right? We have the last word. He gave it to John in a revelation on the island of Patmos. We know it now as the book of Revelation. And after that, there is no more scripture being canonized. Why? Because we have the final word. Jesus is the prophet. Right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Prophets throughout the day were inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak the Word of God. But Jesus is the Word of God. 
He doesn't just speak the Word. He is the Word. He's the fulfillment of the Word, the embodiment of the Word, the demonstration of the Word. The Son is the prophet. If we need a Word, where do we look to? The Son. And yes, Jesus can speak through His people words of encouragement to stir up, to build up, to cheer up, the gift of prophecy. We know that. But when we need the Word, we can look to the Son because He fulfills the Old Testament office of the prophets. Second, the Son is the priest. Right? There were many priests throughout uh, the, the nation of Israel. There was the office of the high priest, and then there was the Levitical priesthood, and then there was also the Levites who served in the temple and served in the elements of worship. And so there was a priesthood, and there were many priests, but now we have Jesus Christ as the priest. Hebrews 5 says he is of the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? That means he was before the Levitical priesthood. He is above the Levitical priesthood. He is after the Levitical priesthood. He is the order of Melchizedek. He is our great high priest. That means that we don't need any human being to stand for us before God. My job as a pastor is to shepherd you on your journey. It is not to represent you before God. That's Jesus' job. He is the only one. And the Bible says he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes for us. He represents us. He shed his blood to make our way through the veil. We don't need the shed blood of cows or goats or pigeons or doves or anything because we have the shed blood of Jesus Christ. No man can advocate for our salvation. Only Jesus can. I sat with my family at Thanksgiving, and it was a bunch of unsaved family, and, 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 and they're generally uh, uh, pretty resistant to even talking about God. And so it was pretty cool at Thanksgiving that actually I was able to get some spiritual conversations in with my family. But one of the things they kept trying to say is, well, thank God, Aaron, that you're in the family so that we all have an advocate. Nope, it doesn't work like that. Yes, I pray for you, and yes, you can be blessed by the grace on my life, but I can't be your advocate. That's only Jesus. The Son is the priest. He's the one that stands before God on our behalf. And finally, the third office of Old Testament Israel the son is the king. There were many kings throughout the history of Israel. And of course, there was the Davidic line. David was promised that somebody from his line would sit on the throne of Israel forever. And his lineage did sit on the throne of the southern kingdom of Israel for an extended period of time. But even that throne was destroyed. But through Jesus Christ, the prophecy over King David is fulfilled that somebody from his line would sit on the throne forever because Jesus is the king. Revelation 19.16 says there is a name written upon him. And that name is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This is our king. 
Come on, Micah 5.2. But as for you, O Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will come forth for me to be the ruler in Israel. Come on, there is a king that was born in Bethlehem. Shannon read Isaiah chapter 9. There will be no end to the increase of his government, and he will sit upon the throne of David forever and ever. Jesus quoted Zechariah 9.9, Shout in triumph, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Come on, your king is coming, and he is coming in humility. How about Psalms chapter 2? Speaking of those who would devise plans against God, it says, He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will announce the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have fathered you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Come on, anybody that is willing to stand against God. God says, oh no, I have established my king and I call him son. And he sits upon the throne in Zion. Come on, that is our king. Daniel chapter 7, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom so that all the people's nations and populations of all languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Come on, this is our king. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. There have been many kings. There have been those who want to run nations and rule nations and create nations so that they can declare themselves as the rulers. But God scoffs and says, we already have a king. He's going to inherit the entire world. He's going to rule forever and ever. He is the one and only king of all kings. This is our King Jesus. Come on, somebody give a shout to the Lord today. Woo! Let's have the worship team come back up today. He's not just a man. He is not just an angel. He is not just one of the prophets. Yes, he is a friend of sinners, but he's not just our buddy. He's the king of the universe. He was before time existed, and he will be for longer than time can measure. And in the meantime, he holds everything together as he sits at the right hand of the Father, enthroned as a king, interceding on our behalf, purifying us of our sins, ensuring for us an eternal destiny, but also empowering us for this temporal life that we've been called to live in this day. This is our king. And this king was willing to sit upon a manger to teach us what it means to be humbled, surrendered, and obedient. 
Jesus, thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that your word would do what it was intended to do. I pray that it would embed itself in our hearts and our spirits and it would stir us up as we begin this Christmas season, Lord. We worship a king. Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to come. We thank you that you were willing to give it all on our behalf. And so now, Lord, we don't live half-heartedly for a good teacher. We live wholeheartedly for a king of kings. Our life belongs to you. We are your inheritance. And so, Lord, today we take the challenge to have the same attitude that you had. So, Holy Spirit, minister among us even now. Take these words and apply them deep within our lives that we would live in a way that reflects Philippians 2.5. We want your attitude, Christ. Let it wash over our minds, our emotions, our words, our actions. Let it wash over us, we ask, as we celebrate this Christmas season and we celebrate this manger throne. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's worship together.